it's hard to hear teaching and inspiration and not go down memory lane. So I feel like I, I would, uh, would better serve what the Lord's given me to share if I share who I am. I, I, I'm, I'm a nobody from nowhere. <laughs> I'm a foster child, literally. Tom Foster is my pastor, but he adopted me. I received the Holy Ghost in 1988 as an alcoholic. I was headed to murder somebody uh, and accidentally stopped in an apostolic church and received the Holy Ghost. Uh, in the city that I grew up in. And so, uh, 1988, 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 88. Well, I'm glad he didn't because I got to grow some. <laughs> and so, from that church, uh, the W.S. Fielding, uh, the late W.S. Fielding was my pastor, taught me truth. Uh, he uh, made me an op- gave me an opportunity, and I felt the call to ministry. I felt the call to be in Fort Worth and... Uh, in 99, he told me if, that uh, if we could grow the church by about, um, by about another 40 people, that I could go full-time. And I'm like, wow, I love to work at the church every day. And so I took it for granted. I mean, I took his word, and uh, we went to, I went to work. But what I had in my, in my background, which I didn't know, I just I got the Holy Ghost and I saw a broke down bus sitting across the street with windows busted out of it and it just made me mad. And I said, what's that bus doing? He said, well, just, it doesn't run and it's got no windows. The windows are broke. We can't afford to fix it. I said, well, how much does it cost? He said, I don't know. Uh, so I found out and I built me a little poster board. I'm telling you, back in the 80s. <laughs> I built me a poster board, and I drew windows, and I went through the church on Sunday night, and I sold windows, $40 a piece. I had just prayed through a mechanic, didn't know he was a mechanic, but I said, I need somebody to figure out what's wrong with this engine. He said, well, I, he just got the Holy Ghost. He said, well, I'm a mechanic. I'll fix it. So I got it running, and then I didn't know how to do bus ministry, so I didn't have a commercial license, but I didn't know you needed one. I was 23. I took that bus to the very the roughest street in Fort Worth even today. We still run buses in there today. I went there, and in a matter of about four months, I had 72 kids on my bus. I was the only bus worker. Saturday, I was a clown. Saturday, I was a, I was a, a door knocker and, and helped children tie their shoe, get dressed, come to church. If you've never done that, oh, Jesus, you're missing out. So we built that, and then the pastor said, if we can grow by 40, I said, okay. So I saw, I saw a dude walking down the street headed to church. I said, hey, you want to go to church? He said, yeah, John Leva. He said, yeah, I think I'll go to church. So I picked him up. I took him to church. Uh, he received the Holy Ghost, and uh, he said, well, I think my mom would like this and my brother. So he brings his mom and his brother, and they all pray through, and, and so I started a Bible study. And we went to their home, uh, the family, there was four of them, uh, a, a mom and three, three boys adopted. And so uh, one, two were adopted, one was, was hers. So we started that Bible study, and she started telling people about it. Well, in about the third week, we, in, we had about 15 people in that home, and it was a very small little frame, two-bedroom home. And so we moved it to another house that was bigger. Uh, by the fifth week, we had, we had about uh, 32 people in that Bible study. 
And I said, well, I better move this to the church. So I moved it to the church and it ended up being about 45 people in that Bible study. They were coming to Bible study, then they were coming to church. So I went to Brother Fielding. I said, well, Brother Fielding, here's 42 people on the pew. They're giving, they're supporting the church. Are we ready? And uh, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> and so the Lord, I just, I was, had a very good job and I was offered a promotion that was going to take me away from, from the church every weekend, training, leadership training for a, a business. And, and I really wanted to be in ministry. And so I asked him, what do I do? He said, well, it sounds like you need to find another job. And I'm like, that's kind of what I'm asking right now. <laughs> and we had gone to the sectional conference, and on the way home, Brother Fielding was a writer. He'd write on a napkin. He'd write on a, on a handkerchief. He'd write on a piece of paper, on an envelope piece. And he wrote, he wrote 300 on an on a envelope that was in his car. And he said, can you live on that? And I'm like, hmm. It was less than half of what I was making each week. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I can live on that. <laughs> he said, okay, well, uh, we'll, start, we'll start in March. So I have been full-time in ministry since March 1999. <laughs> to God be the glory for that. Uh, with the promise in two years, I'm going to retire, and you'll become pastor of this church. What's well, the church that got the Holy Ghost in? That was such an honor. At... One year and 10 months, he began to preach that he was never going to retire, that he was going to pastor until he died. I mean, we grew the church. The church grew from about 110 to about 240 during this tenure because I'm, I'm, we're fixing to take over in Jesus' name. <laughs> and I, I said, I need to meet with you. So we had a meeting, and he said, well, I just don't think you would do good here. I said, okay, yes, sir. Uh, what do you suggest I do then? He said, I think you need to go to Tom Foster's. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. And so we set the date in March of 2001. After two years of serving there, I went to Tom Foster's. No job, no income, no future. And Tom Foster adopted me. And so that's how I am a foster child. <laughs> Uh, worked there, served there for about two months. Brother Foster offered me a position on staff as an executive pastor, and we served there for uh, two and a half years. Well, really still serving there, but uh, you never stop. When it's real, you never stop serving. And so that's my story. Uh, yes, there's heartbreak. Yes, there's disappointment. Yes, there's setbacks. But you know what? Let's have revival. Let's have revival. Um, in Luke chapter five, uh, I saw this a couple of weeks ago and the Lord just really began to, uh, open my eyes to a, a deeper level of, of, of the harvest. And it came to pass verses one through seven. It came to pass that people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake at Gennesaret and two, he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Everybody say they were finished. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed to him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, like most of us, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. 
Notice when man takes over what God says. I will let down the net. That, that I term gets a lot of people in trouble, right, Lucy? <laughs> Lucifer. And when they had thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in another ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. This is harvest. And I want to share with you a concept, do it again. Everybody say, do it again. Let's do it again. Uh, I know if. Yeah, I know that's cotton and I'm talking about fishing, but we'll get there. They're all, they're all principles of the harvest in the word of God. Um, do it again, that phrase. Uh, my mother used to say it as a young man when I didn't do things to her uh, liking or uh, approval. She would say, do it again. And to me, that was one of the most aggravating statements to hear in my life. Do it again. And I got to be honest, there's a few times the Lord said do it again that kind of aggravated me. Because I really felt like I had given my best. I didn't know what I was going to do again that was going to be any different. Uh, and so sometimes when we hear this phrase or even feel led to do this, it, 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 uh, our flesh opposes it. So it creates a, a personal conflict within us because we feel vindicated we feel fulfilled we feel qualified I've already done this I've already proven what we could do we, we, we finished this day we, we fished today we we put in our time we did our hours but uh, we've already accomplished something just not today and in regard to the harvest as a church we must be prepared to do it again every day every week every month and every year the first requirement is we must be willing to be used. Everybody wants to be used until God begins to use them. And then they gotta, we, have, we all have to make a choice. We're going to be complainers or we're going to be used. And so what we find in this, in this uh, text is that they were, they, they were tired. They already did it. And now they're told to do it again. They were finished. They were, their nets were washed. They, were, they had put them up. And so they had to, first of all, launch out. And this is what uh, Pastor Bounds challenged us with this morning. Launch out. We've got, we got to get off the shore to get into the deep where the real harvest are, is. Uh, we're going to have to leave our safety zone. And that's where most, most ministers draw the line. I, I, I'm going to do what I know I can do. No risk means no fish. We've got to be willing to leave the bank. We've got to be willing to leave the shallow water and get into the deep. Deep water means higher risk. There's not too many people drowning in the bathtub. And so we, we're going to have to get to the deep somewhere where we don't control. Fishermen are, uh, fishermen typically stay in the shallow water. From the shore, we fish with a line. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I, I'm not a hunter. I, I, don't, I, I know I'm from Texas. I'm a cowboy. All right. <laughs> I did ride bulls when I was younger. Uh, still have pain from that. Uh, hallelujah. Don't advise that. <laughs> Those things are crazy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, but I did notice y'all have a Texas roadhouse here. Now, isn't that funny? You go to every state and there's a Texas roadhouse. 
it's good. But these guys were, I went fishing with my dad one time. He was a, he was a bass fisherman. And I, of course, I didn't know. The only fishing I knew was crappie fishing. I went trout fishing one time in Colorado and caught about 30 fish in 30 minutes. And I thought that was the way it's supposed to go every time. Well, he got, takes me bass fishing in this tournament, pays for me to fish. And both of us out there all day for six hours and didn't, I mean, we didn't even see a fish. I'm like, this is the dumbest waste of time I've ever had. That's why I don't like fishing. I went hunting one time, and no, nobody even saw a deer. There might be some reasons for that, but we didn't even see a deer, so I haven't gone hunting since because I don't know how to hunt. I'll celebrate all y'all. Yeah, I'd knock them out. <laughs> but to fish, you got to know what you're doing. You gotta, you're going to have to learn the trade. And so from a, from a shoreline, we're going to fish one line at a time. That's what I felt like that bass fishing. You just throw that thing out there and bring it back and nothing happens. And sometimes it feels that way. But Jesus has prepared an astonishing harvest or catch for the church. I echo what Bishop Cornwell said last night. There is an astonishing harvest prepared by the Lord from the Lord for the end time church. That's the church of today. And so what we find is launching out into the deep, uh, the greater the investment, the greater the return. Uh, in John chapter 21, there's another illustration of fishing, and I'll get to the, to the other in a minute. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said, children, have you any meat? And they answered him, no. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find they cast therefore now they they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes here it is jesus says do it again but do it a little bit different they didn't move the boat they didn't change anything they used the same net they just cast it on the other side of the ship and as soon as they, verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals and a fish thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the, the, the net to the land full of great fishes. Now, in my mind, I like to close my eyes every now and then and see the word of God. So I see Peter, the fisherman, rough, rugged. I see him with this big old net full of fish. And I see him draped over his shoulder, and he's dragging this net to the shore. I thought, man, that looks like work. And so he pulls, he drew the net of, to land full of great fishes, and then comma, and the next statement stuck in my head. And 153. 153. So again, my eyes closed and I'm looking out and I said, okay. So they laid those fishes out. I don't know. I would have done it by size, age, and 153, they counted all those fishes. I mean, they didn't just guess at 153. Jesus knew it was 153, but somebody else had to know to record it. And so uh, 153, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. 153 fish. Why are they counted and numbered in this harvest? Why would Jesus put a number on how many fish? I mean, a great catch, a great number of fish, 
net full of fish. But the word of God clearly states 153 fish. I believe it's because I think I believe Jesus considers it very important for us to know how many fish are in the net. And I brought I brought a couple of examples, and this is my weekly this is my weekly uh, account accountability. I call it to me. I'm accountable to Jesus. I'm accountable to my pastor, and I'm accountable to me. Um, the scale tells me when I gain weight. Well, my clothes and the scale, but <laughs> we have, I mean, the bank will call you if you write a check and there's not enough funds in there, they'll let you know. But what do we do about these people? They're, the narrative of the, of the two miracles, Luke 5 and John 21, uh, are similar, but there are variations. In both the miraculous draughts of fishes, uh, is the, the text is the mission of the church is to preach the gospel. The purpose of these uh, parables, of these illustrations, is for us, the church, to understand what Jesus desires to do through his vehicle called the church. To, the work of man is catching uh, the ministry by which souls are caught is the net, in the net of the gospel. When we start teaching and preaching the gospel, people get snared by the word of God or caught by the word of God and begin to change. Uh, it's the preacher is compared to a fisherman. The fisherman's vocation is toilsome. You go out, you do the same thing, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. The fisherman must go forth in rough waters and all of its hazards. Uh, if we could only fish on calm seas, the fishing days would probably be very few. Meaning that when, we, when we're going to grow a church, we're going to have to be ready for the battle. We're going to have to be ready for the stormy days, the rainy days, the snowy days, and the windy days. I don't know what the weather is like here, but in Texas we get all of that. Uh, so the Christian minister, whether, whether men will receive the word or reject the word, uh, we must be ready to share the gospel. It's not on me. It's upon me to sow the seed. It's upon me to cast the net. It's upon me to reach for them. And he, God gives the increase. So our calling must be carried faithfully, carried on faithfully. It's not by one grand hall that, that, that the church grows. Every church growth uh, seminar, session, meeting you go to, you, you're going to hear testimonies and stories of processes and, and specific growth. Uh, I, I do not believe in barriers. There's not a growth barrier of 50. There's not a growth barrier of 100. Uh, the only growth barrier is in our mind. Go get them. He said, go get them, and we, we can do that. So we must not be weary and well-doing for all the disappointments that come with church growth. We must be willing to do it again, but must in faith continue in prayer, laboring, expecting that at the end we will receive his reward. Uh, so what happened in these testaments is that there was a, a commission with God, a commission. Everybody say commission. We're taught by the means of revival is a four-letter word that a lot of people run from. It's called, it's, it's work, W-O-R-K. Uh, in the first case, the fish did not leap into Simon's boat. He had to throw the net over the side again. In the second case, they didn't swarm from the sea and swim up on the beach and say, here we are, 153 of us. 
But sometimes as pastors, as church planters, we, we kind of expect God called me here. He's going to bring all the fish. But Jesus is the one that said, go, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. And so we, we find that after having cast the net, uh, we still, and they filled the net, he still had to drag it ashore. That is discipleship. That's how we get them in the church. We drag them to shore. We keep count of them. We keep uh, in, in contact with them. It's a miracle when, when, when our human effort meets God's ordained will and purpose. Uh, but not the fishermen, nor the boat, nor the tackle are ignored. They are all part of the process of the harvest. And we're wise to learn that in the saving of souls, God works by means and methods. And whatever we choose to do, let's do it with all of our might. In the first, remember, uh, God is pleased by the foolishness of preaching to save those that are lost. And, and so what we hear is that uh, the response of Peter was, Master, we toiled all night, but we caught nothing. Jesus said, yeah, I know. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. In the last case, Jesus asked the question, hey, do you have any fish? And they said, no, we don't have any fish. We got nothing. And I've been there, and some of you may be there, and some of us may be there again. I got nothing. What do you do when you have nothing? Go do something. And so their sorrowful no was the reason. And so were they fishermen? Yes, they knew how to fish. Um, they, they, they knew the purpose. Had they gone about uh, their job unskillfully? No, they were in the same spot. They didn't, he didn't tell them to go across the lake. Uh, did they lack equipment? No, they had the nets. They had the boat. They, they, they were, they, did they lack perseverance? No, they toiled all night. Uh, was there a deficiency of fish? No. Look, in, look around our cities. The people are everywhere. People are everywhere. Uh, the master, uh, so when this, what is the reason? It's not because there's uh, no success apart. The reason there was no catch is because they were doing it in their own power. And when Jesus gave instruction, everything changed. One word from the Lord. Do it again. Other side. Move over a little bit. And now we see the blessing. In the pictures that uh, you see behind me, uh, we had traveled to Altus, Oklahoma. I had never been to Altus, Oklahoma. Uh, just, this was just last month. And uh, we, we, for a memorial service, one of our precious elders had passed and had a burial plot there. And so we did a, uh, went there Monday night to get up Tuesday morning. As we were driving into town, there was uh, fields. I mean, there's nothing. I've never been to Altus. There's nothing in Altus. Uh, well, there is, but I didn't know that. Uh, and so this, in this field, I see this huge combine. I mean, it looked from the street as big as this room. And there was dust clouds and lights. I'm like, man, it looked like a moving, moving city. I'm like, what is going on? And so we drove a little bit further, and uh, I looked, and I saw that uh, these big round, green round bales on the side of the road. And I'm like, oh, man, they, that's crazy. They're cutting hay this late. And so we went on in and, and checked in the hotel and, and went, to, went to bed and got up the next morning. And Tuesday morning, I was loading our, our vehicle to go to the graveside. And uh, when, I, when I got out of the vehicle to throw some trash away, I saw a little something on the ground. 
And uh, that's that picture, the first picture on the left there, that little, that little cotton bowl. It was laying on the ground all by himself. I brought him with me. I don't know how it grew, but it did. Sitting on my desk, it, <laughs> it got bigger. But the Cornwell maybe can explain all that, but uh, just, just laying there on my desk, it grew. I'm like, wow, this thing's getting bigger. Hallelujah. I'm going to leave it there another year. We might make a sweater or something. <laughs> But I, I looked down and I stopped and, and I, I, I picked up this little bowl, B-O-L-L, I think I'm saying it right. And I picked it up and it was, to me, it was neat. And as I, as I picked it up off the grass from that uh, Hampton Inn, I, 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 like that, I looked over and that second picture is what I saw. It was, I mean, just my peripheral, that's all I could see was the white harvest field. And the Lord spoke to me and said, That's, I'm ready. He said, I'm that ready. Uh, hallelujah. But what I, as I picked this bowl up, it's like the Lord pressed me that that's what so many of us ministers are waiting on that little bowl to escape. The harvest. The wind blew it from the harvest. And so many churches and pastors, and I say this from experience, I've been privileged as a foster child to travel with Tom Foster for mm, almost 20 years now. And we did a, we would do church growth seminars, and if it was a smaller church, he would take me so I could learn and we could impart some things together. And we went to this church in Texas, uh, somewhere in Texas, and uh, we spent six hours. He talked for four hours. I testified for an hour, and then we had lunch. And we got ready to leave, and the pastor sits down in the foyer of their church, and he sits on the bench, and he says, well, crossed his legs and his arm. He said, a man of God came by here and told me that when God gets ready, he'll send revival. And so we're just waiting on revival. And I looked at, I looked at Bishop Foster, and he looked at me, and he did like that, and I know that means let's go. <laughs> and we got in the truck, and he said, we just spent six hours telling this guy how he could increase and grow this church. And he sits down to tell us that it's not going to happen until God says it's going to happen. Can I tell you, it's ready. He's telling us now. He told us today. He told us last night. And if you're listening to anything going around, he's telling us every time we will listen, he's telling us. And so I saw that sea of cotton, and that's the picture you see in the center, in the center of this graphic, uh, souls waiting to be harvested. Uh, I considered going to grab a stalk of, of, of cotton. In fact, even my precious wife agreed, yeah, go get one. And as I began to pull over there, the Holy Ghost smote my heart. Now, y'all don't think I'm crazy. I don't care. And the Lord said, that's not yours. So in case there was any harvest thieves in Ohio, <laughs> the Lord sent me to give you a caution. Uh-oh. I better move on. That's what he told me. 
He said, I, I wrote it down. He said, that's not yours. He said, that's not yours. How dare you steal from another man's harvest? That's what the Lord spoke to me. And I turned that Yukon the other way and headed on down. But I was intrigued by a cotton harvest. I'd never been around cotton. I'd never seen anything like that before. I'd never held a, a bowl of cotton like that. Uh, it was kind of neat to me. And so uh, being interested, I, I went to uh, University of Google and found out some things about cotton. <laughs> I'm going to find out in a minute if they're correct. I warned uh, Bishop Cornwell on the way over here. Uh, cotton, as I read, they told me that cotton has to be replanted every year. Do it again. We had revival last year. Yes, but you better have revival this year because things change. <laughs> Do it again. Cotton is a plant that will be killed by the frost. It is often grown as an annual. So I said, okay, how many times a year can you pick cotton? Because obviously this guy was ready for the revival, but the other guys weren't. And so uh, they, what I read is traditionally cotton fields had to be picked by hand three or four times each harvest season. Everybody say, do it again. We already been through this field once. Okay, do it again. We've already been through this field twice. Okay, do it again. We've already been in this neighborhood four times. Okay, do it again. If you want the harvest, you got to keep going back to do it again. So the bowls on the plants would mature at different rates. People get ready at different times. Everywhere I go, I leave an invitation to the Pentecostals of Fort Worth. Used to be a church card. Now we have these neat little QR code cards that uh, all the restaurants went to them. So I put mine right by the menu. And they think they're scanning the menu and they scan the Pentecostal Fort Worth and it takes them to a, to a, a, a page on, a, on an app on our website that asks them, are you interested in a home Bible study? Is there anything we can pray with you about? We've got to get creative in this day. We're going, to, we're going to do it again. And so everywhere we go, we leave a card. We, we leave an invitation. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm sowing seed everywhere I go. Everywhere we go. Say everywhere I go. And so these fields, they, they were gone through, the, they, they would mature at different rates and people come at different times. And we have ministers and people in our church today that got a card or invitation on their door, stuck it in a drawer for six months to a year. And then when, when their life fell apart, they opened the drawer and saw the Pentecostals of Fort Worth and said, hey, we, 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 we got this about a year ago. We decided we would come. I said, great, it's your, your time. So uh, everybody's not ready on the same day. And so that's why we've got to do it again. And so I said, uh, because they weren't ready, they, they would continue. But if they left them too long, they would deteriorate. So when the fields are white, the harvest is ready. If the people are the harvest and the fields are ready now for the laborers, what are we waiting on? He said they're white, but he was looking for the laborer. Everybody say work. So we left Altus and, and we could see again the, the these fields that were white, and, and then we saw uh, those uh, green, round bales. It's really green, the picture uh, it doesn't do it. And so what I thought to be humongous hay bales. I'm like, man, that <laughs> horses would take, my horse would take two months to eat through that. But in the daytime, what at nighttime looked like hay, in the daytime was harvest. It was cotton. That's cotton rolled up in those big old round bales, and I'm like, what? 
And so as we drove by, I told my wife, I said, take a picture of that. Take that. I, I got to get that picture because this is the kind of harvest that the church is having in the last days. Bales and bales of harvest are going to be rolled up. And that's what that machine was doing. It was going through as a combine, rolling up these bales, and each field had six to 12 rolls. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. And so we need to prepare for this type of harvest. I echo what Jesus spoke through Bishop Cornwell last night, a double portion. That's what I'm believing for in Fort Worth. So how are we, how are we to participate with Jesus in harvesting? It's easy to sit back and say, I'm waiting on God. And God's sitting back saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on the labor. When can we get together? In John 3, 6, uh, Jesus said that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so seeing that we are a born again body of believers, we have access to both worlds. And I believe that's by design. God expects us to do what we can do and then we trust him to do what he will do. John six sixty three, he said, is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so we need God to speak into what we're doing. Or we need to do what God is speaking into, however you want to approach it. Neither the ground or the seed care who, who or what sows the seed into the ground as long as the two come together in order to produce a crop. The power of salvation is the word of God. It's the seed, and we must know it to sow it, to deliver it, and to preach it, and to plant it, and to do it again. As pastors, regardless of the size or tenure of our pastoral, we must choose how we approach the daily responsibility of the harvest in our cities. I've come today to share with you some simple principles that we at the Pentecostal Fort Worth have adopted over the past uh, two weeks. A uh, week from this Sunday, we'll celebrate 19 years. 19 years as a church. Uh, we started uh, with our family of four, uh, and we had our first prayer meeting in our home. Uh, uh, I took about eight properties. Uh, Brother Bounds, I prepared it. We, my wife did a, we did a little packet showing the population and the, and the place and took it to Bishop. And I said, here, Bishop, we found a place. He said, no, eight times. No, we're not going to start there. No, we're not going to start there. No, we're not. And then finally, I said, Do you, are you sure that, I mean, you're the one that told me to go to Fort Worth. Are you sure? We, I mean, you know, are we going? <laughs> he said, when you find the right place, we'll know it. I said, yes, sir. And so we went back and, and we heard word that we could rent a little apartment clubhouse, apartment complex clubhouse for $300 a month. And so I, I took that apartment complex and $300 a month and I took it to him. He says, that's it. I said, oh, wow, that's exciting. <laughs> we started in, a, in that apartment cl complex clubhouse, our first service. We had 34 people there, and I thought, yeah. None of them from Dallas. He, did, he still hasn't sent us any people. <laughs> I, I, I know I just broke the record. I'm not supposed to say that stuff, but you can do it. If I can do it, remember, I'm nobody from nowhere. You can do it. Anybody can do it. And so our family came, and we started, we started uh, winning souls, and we just do it again every week now. Uh, to experience church growth, we must meet, teach, and train new people. In our first prayer meeting, the Lord gave us our mission statement, impacting lives to change the world. 
we could see the hand of God reaching through this church that hadn't even had its first service around the world globally. In our, my State of the Union message in January of 2003, we had average about 20 through December, our first month. Uh, while we started a church in December, I don't know, other than that's when Bishop said we could start, but we started December 1st. <laughs> Hallelujah. January the, January, the first Sunday of January, I think it was January the 4th of 2003, uh, at that clubhouse, the Lord gave me a, a word, a message that I preach Several times a year, even to today, in fact, preach it two weeks ago, titled Revival Now. I preach it to our church every, every time the Lord says to. I used to just do it once a year, but now every time the Lord prompts me because it is the message. And so I'm sitting here in this, in this truck. We had a Tahoe. I was sitting. My office was out there, and I could see that it's 10, it's 10.05, and <laughs> my family's here and, and four other people. There was eight people in there. And I'm like, Lord, how am I going to preach this message to eight people? And the Lord spoke to me and said, preach to them like, you're going, like you would preach it to 5,000. I said, okay, here we go. I went in there and I, that little music stand didn't stand a chance. I preached. I mean, it was my family that thought I was crazy. I said, well, if I'm going out, I'm going out in a blaze. <laughs> and so I preached that. Like I was preaching to 5,000. In October of 2017, got an email from Brother Daniel Borges in Brazil, inviting me to come to Manaus, thank you, Bishop Stark, to preach their uh, uh, district conference. They had just, he said, it used to be 10,000, it's too big. He said, there'll be about 5,000 people there. And in my spirit, something rang, Brother Ben. I said, okay, I know what I'm preaching. And the Lord helped us on that Sunday night. We'd preach that message, and God, I believe, did great things in that. And so I'm telling you, if you got a word from the Lord, you just keep doing it again because it will come to pass. He will bring it to pass. Now, I want to hasten to, uh, to some, some principles. Uh, as a small home missionary church, uh, it's, the harvest comes as we labor. Uh, we, we were in our fifth year, and the fifth year has significance in the Word of God. You can state it out, find it for yourself. But uh, in our fifth year, our weekly average attendance grew from 105 to 181. One year. 105 to 181. 72% growth. We had over 700 first-time guests in one year as a five-year-old church. What are you going to do with 700 first-time guests at your church? Yeah. I didn't know either. <clears throat> it's a, uh, our guess because of bus ministry is about 50-50 split, 50% adults, 50% children. So uh, we, we treat them all the same. They're people, they're souls. Uh, but when I saw the report, of, I asked my wife, I said, hey, print me a list of how all the guests we had for last year, and I want to I pray over them. Well, she printed it, and it came out 13 pages. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I said, I just said for last year. And it at calculating them at the bottom. And when I saw all those names, I literally felt like I was going to hell because I had no idea. I read name after name after name after name after name after name that I had no idea where they were. I could not account for most of those people. I fell on the floor and began to pray. 
And the Lord told me to get up and read Matthew 25, so I did. In verse 14, Matthew 25, 14, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. First thing he told me is these are my people. I said, yes, sir. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another uh, one, and to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. God dropped them off. According to our ability, that word ability there in the Greek is dunamis, uh, same word as power in Acts 1 and 8. And so I interpret that to understand that what Jesus says is I'll give you the harvest according to your spiritual ability. That's what I interpret. He gave me the understanding, this principle and insight that uh, he, his delegation process is, is, looks upon our spiritual ability. Ministry feels lonely at times because Jesus wants to see what we're going to do with it. He knows what he's going to do with it. He knows what he wants, but he knows, wants to know what I want to do with it. What am I going to do with it? He wants to see what we're going to do with, with what he brings to us. So from this experience, we went to work and set in motion uh, a discipleship system titled Every Guest Counts. Uh, we're on, a, uh, my wife is waiting on me. We should hopefully have a book published by the middle of next year uh, with all this in it, but we're, we're working on it still. Uh, every guest counts. And so we, as we invested more time and energy on the guests, Jesus continued to send more guests. 2008, the next year, we had 812 first-time guests. 2009, we had 836. 2010, we had 1,182 first-time guests. At that point, we were a seven-year-old church. And from 2010 till 2020, we have had over 1,000 first-time guests every year. Now, the city of Fort Worth has grown. We started the church. It was about 620,000 people in the city limits. Uh, last year, census was 943,000 people. So the city has grown, and that means more people we haven't been able to reach yet. Uh, and so as the city grows, we, uh, we, we can't wait. We're, we're being over, overpowered. So new people, new people every year, and what do we do with these people? Matthew 25, 19, uh, Jesus said, After a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And he that had received five uh, came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. Everybody say work. He worked with what he had. He was willing to do it again. And his Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many. Enter the joy of the Lord. Same thing with two in verse 22. Uh, Gain two. He said, Well done, good and faithful. But in verse 24, he meets uh, opposition. And he said, The received one talent came and said, Lord, uh, I was so afraid to lose the one that you gave me that I just hid it. I held on to it. I was afraid. Verse 25, hid that talent in the earth, and so now I can give it back to you. God never intends for us to give something back to him the same way we got it. He expects us to grow it, to work with it. And the Lord answered and said unto him, you wicked and slothful servant, you should have put my money to the exchangers. He said, take from him uh, and give it unto them which have ten talents. And so we find that good stewardship uh, means production with accountability invites the atmosphere of joy. The Lord said, enter down to the joy of the Lord. And so 
but but the bonus is that the Lord uh, the Lord throws in for the faithful that which uh, the other didn't work. That is where where we first get this accountability stewardship. Uh, we're we're accountable. What we're accountable for, God blesses. And so as a as a we started as a daughter work out of Dallas First Church, and so I was we were accountable to Bishop Foster every week. I would bring him a report of how many hours we prayed, how many invitations we handed out, how many home Bible studies we taught, how many first-time guests we had, how many people repented, how many people were baptized, how many people had the Holy Ghost. See, a lot of people skip over that repented. That's a great thing to track when you're a young church because that's encouraging when people come to the altar. They didn't get the Holy Ghost the first time. That's okay. They repented. They came and prayed. That's a win. We start counting wins. Uh, we taught, we, we would be accountable how many guests we followed up on and also how much was the offering. But I am persuaded that because uh, we, we are willing to be accountable, even to today, I send a report still every month to him uh, just because I want to. Uh, because the, I know the day's coming in Matthew 25, 19, the Bible says after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. That word reckoneth means, uh, is, uh, the Greek logos. And it means an account, which one gives by word of mouth. God wants to know what are you doing with what I've already given you? Anything valuable to, to God, uh, he uses the word talent in this text it's the greek word talenton and it means originally it means a talent in weight and so as i did further study it's a sum of money or something weighed i believe it's anything we can measure it's a talent what can we measure people there's nothing more valuable to god than people nothing and so we must evaluate uh if we value what god values the same way he values it In another parable in Luke 19, verse 15, uh, Jesus, it came to pass that when he was returned, received the kingdom, he commanded the servants to be called unto him to whom he had given money that might know how much every man had gained by trading. And the first became the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. And they said unto him, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a, in a very little, that have thou authority over 10 cities. I taught this in our district this past year, shared this principle, and I believe this is the key to apostolic growth in the United Pentecostal Church, church growth, revival in cities, is that when we, when we are willing to be accountable for what God has done, he will give us authority over cities. Everybody say cities. Jesus reveals this key here, and I have to wonder what cities are waiting on us to multiply the greatest asset that Jesus had in, has entrusted to the church. Pastor Bounds shared that today uh, very profoundly and vividly, clearly. Brother Cornwell shares it. Will again, I know. Uh, we're challenged to understand the value that Jesus places on people. Most churches answer to the congregation for their finances, their budget. Spending, buildings, land, money in the bank, and we should. But how many of us answer to the congregation about the souls, about the people? At the Pentecostal Fort Worth, we place great value on the guests that the Lord 
Jesus sends. We must generate a guest flow to grow. You can't grow a church if you don't win people, if you don't meet new people. Every Saturday for 19 years, we have a team on the streets in Fort Worth. Today, while I'm here, they're right now preparing, launching out, leaving. have bus teams going out. We have uh, repeat guest follow-up. We have uh, street evangelism. We do invitations every week. Uh, for 19 years, we missed two Saturdays. That's when Saturday, uh, Christmas happened to fall on Saturday. We probably would have had some people go, but I didn't want to take a risk. <laughs> uh, we've been in ice. We've been in snow. We've been in 115 degree. We've been in rain. We've been in uh, beautiful weather. Uh, we Now, uh, we missed four more Saturdays in 2020 when, when they shut down uh, Tarrant County, the county that the church is in. And so we did all kind of uh, email and phone ministry. Y'all all know about that. And so uh, we, we do uh, community events. We do Bless the Community two times a year. We buy 400 gallons of milk, 400 loaves of bread, uh, load up 10 trucks, send teams out, and we knock doors and give away milk and bread. Why? Because what family doesn't need milk and bread? Just trying to get our door, our foot into the door of the community. Uh, our church in an area, certain area within five miles of the church is the, uh, it's called the roughest corner in Fort Worth. Uh, there's probably 10 apartment complexes, uh, all of low income. So we go there every weekend. Uh, we, we do block parties in those areas. We go there and cook, cook um, uh, hot dogs and, and chips and take, we usually take clothes or some kind of food, I have a clothing store or a food store. We just give away whatever we can find. A community event, we do that twice a year. Uh, we have a, a um, service we call Western Day. Started it uh, that first year. I wanted to have over 100 people in attendance for our first year. And so I got just an idea, just a crazy idea. We, we had this beautiful property. Uh, Brother Cornwell's been there. Uh, it was on a dead-end road. Uh, in a in a rural community, we had a donkey, two donkeys next door, a longhorn, and three horses down the street, and chickens next door. Uh, and so uh, I thought, man, let's have a Western Day. So we had a Western Day, fed everybody, barbecue that came. And our first within our first year, our record attendance was 107. We had 107 people on that Western Day. We still do that every year. Just had it two weeks ago. Uh, our highest attendance is 1,040 on that day. We fed 1,040 people in 40 minutes. Brisket, potato salad. And so we, we pay attention to the guests. These are things that we do to invite people. Uh, every guest receives three visits from the Pentecostals of Fort Worth. Uh, we, they get a cookie visit on the Monday after. As part of our ministry training, we want to impart to them the responsibility of how important the guest is. So to be a minister in training at the Pentecostal Fort Worth, you have to agree to deliver cookies to first-time guests on Monday evening. And so we have a text thread that goes out uh, every Monday. Our assimilation pastor sends it out, coordinates all that. Uh, then they go into our revisit uh, program or system uh, that we track, and every guest will receive a, a another personal visit every 30 days. And so my accountability back to the Lord is if you send me, if you send one family, we're going to visit them four times, even if they never come back. That's what we're going to do for you, Jesus.
And I'm happy to report since 2008, God has helped us to do that. And then uh, just a quick testimony. Uh, one, two months ago, uh, we did this follow-up. The lady, has, it was her third visit. It was her last time we were going to go there. We missed her. She didn't answer the door, uh, but she showed up at prayer that night. The same night she came to prayer meeting. And came to the altar, received the Holy Ghost, came back on Sunday morning, was baptized in Jesus' name. So it just, again, it reveals to us, we never know what the right time is, so we just do it again. Everybody say, do it again. So when they, if they uh, are born again, they go into another uh, program we call Operation Impact, where we give them, Bishop Foster drilled in our head while we were at Dallas First Church, everybody, every believer needs a friend and a job. A friend and a job. And so we give them a friend, and then we do our best to get them. You know, everybody doesn't want to work right now. <laughs> I don't know if that's the way it is here, but yeah, yeah. anyway, we're, we're trying to get everybody in a job. We get, they get contacted every week by that friend. Uh, they are visited face-to-face or have a meal once a month. And every time we see them, all these visits, the, the four visits, the friend is all to push them towards a home Bible study. And we like to cross a home Bible study teacher with the friend. We don't, I don't like for the friend to teach the Bible study because I want to connect them with more families in the church. And so we get, they, once they agree to a home Bible study, we begin to teach that. Uh, then we get them enlisted in a ministry, get them a job, and then we invite them to our impact class 13 weeks. We do that on Wednesday night. Why? Because I want to develop a habit them to develop a habit of coming to church on Wednesday night. And so when they finish this class, they've been coming to church for 13 weeks. Then we go to our discipleship class, which leads them to membership. So that's 17 weeks. So they've been coming for 17 weeks, uh, four months. And so they got a pretty good habit of coming to church on Wednesday night. So what do they do when they finish these classes? They come to church on Wednesday night. And then once it does, it work? Yes, it works. Is it a hundred percent successful? No, I don't know anything that is because we're dealing with this flesh. Um, This is why I'm a student of church growth. This is why I go to as many church growth events as I can. I glean, I listen, I can learn something from everybody. I have uh, gained much since I've been here. I want to finish with this. Um, You say, well, discouragement comes when you invest your ministry, your life into somebody. They come along, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. It happens. It happens. I could tell you. I mean, I don't have a lot of horror stories. But we just, I mean, we don't. But we have had some experiences, uh, mostly this year. In fact, this year has been the one. Uh, but in 2013, um, one of our, our grand, our daughter was pregnant with her second uh, child, and she called me frantically and says, uh, Dad, they said that that the baby does only has half a heart, and the the um, pediatric cardiologist is recommending that that we abort. I said, Oh no 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 we don't abort. Jesus Jesus is going to touch her. She said, Well I know I wasn't. I'm just telling you what they're saying. That's how bad it is. I said, No it's it's going to be okay. She was diagnosed with pulmonary artesia where only half the heart forms and, and one of the valves does, wasn't there. And so um, we were actually in Thailand the day she was born, and she went straight into surgery, and they put a stent in her heart to uh, push the blood 
through her lungs so she could get oxygen. So she spent the first four months of her life in NICU uh, trying to get her oxygen level up to 92 or to stay over 90 uh, as, a, as an infant. Uh, it was around 78 to 80 for uh, months. But her first four months were in I, NICU. We would go pray every day. I took, I took David Smith. I took Bishop Foster. I took Nick Mahaney. Everybody that came to town to preach for us, we went to, we went to NICU to pray for that baby. And I'm happy to report to you that last Monday I had dinner with Balin. She's eight years old. She's a, <laughs> she's a little, she's a little firecracker. I went with Krista to the one-year checkup, and they scanned Balin's heart, and the surgeon who put the stent in, she was supposed to have a stent every year up to age five, and then one when she was age 12, and then up to adulthood, they had to make the stent larger so that she could survive. And so the surgeon, he, he was, uh, came in scratching his head, and I'm not making fun, I'm just repeating and he looked at me, he was scratching his head, and he said, what you do? And I said, uh, I said, I pray to Jesus. He said, you keep do, I never see before. <laughs> Balin has a full valve on her heart. They took the stent out. She's never had another surgery. The next year, 2014, we were super excited. Our first grandson, we have, we have 11 grandchildren, two boys, and a bunch of girls. <laughs> Roman was our first grandson to be born. At the day of delivery, mom felt sharp pains at the water break. She was headed to the hospital to find out that proclampsia had robbed his life. And we made our way to Maryland to check on them. And what we found out is that sometimes you can do everything right. And they still don't make it. And that's the pain of ministry. And we have to make the choice. Either I'm going to do it again. Or I'm going to let this pain hold me back. And we've, we've elected, and I pray you will too, to do it again and keep doing it again. Yes, there's going to be babies that are stillborn. Yes, there's going to be babies that are going to spend four months in NICU. But guess what? There are going to be some good, healthy babies that are going to grow the church. And you know what's going to happen? They all matter the same to Jesus. Can I brag on Jesus one more second? Recently, uh, right before they shut us down in the pandemic, we had 170 consecutive weeks that somebody received the Holy Ghost at the Pentecostal Fort Worth, 170 consecutive weeks. <laughs> That's over three years. And since that time, there's only been six weeks since December of 2016 that somebody has not received the Holy Ghost. And some, most of those, were because we, we weren't having church, we weren't able to be there. I want to give God glory today. I want to invite you to stand. And whatever you're doing for Jesus today, be ready to do it again. But let's take his commands. Let's take his commission. Let's take his instruction and do it again.